0: This morning's message is the third message in a series on the Psalms of Ascents. As I've explained in the last few weeks, the Psalms of Ascents are in book number five in the five books of the Psalms. So in case you're unaware, or this is your first Sunday with us, the biggest, longest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. It's in the middle of the Bible of the Old Testament, and there's five smaller books that make up this larger book, and they are hymns, poems. They are like the hymn books that are in front of the seats in front of us. They're categorized by their themes and by the things that are being sung and said in them. So these psalms are categorized, and as all of them have the title on top of them, a song of ascents. The word ascend means to go up, to go up is most likely referring to the idea of going up to the city of Jerusalem. And so, as I've been kind con- of contemplating and pondering on this theme of the Psalms of Ascent for this sermon series, I keep trying to think of the best metaphor for what would maybe relate to you and to me as we kind of grasp our minds around this picture of ascending up to Jerusalem. So, I'm wondering have any of you ever attended a large Christian gathering? maybe a youth conference or a missions conference or some event where it gathered people from all over the world and maybe it was a a far distance. You had to drive some way or or fly in an airplane. Does that sound like, yeah, I've done something like that before where there was a few thousand people and they're represented from all over the world? I think that's probably the best comparison to what we see here in the Old Testament tradition of ascending up to Jerusalem three times a year where people from all over the different tribes would come together for this special time of worship. They set aside a whole week or more for this. So it's, it's similar to that idea that if you've ever attended a, a week-long conference somewhere, and imagine that it's somewhere far off in, you know, Dallas, Texas, because that's the belt of the Bible belt. And so it's, you know, the the Mecca, the Jerusalem, the Holy of Holies. I don't know if Dallas, Texas is really that, but you get the idea. You're, you're going somewhere, and all of the people from around the world are gathering. And when you arrive after the long journey that it took, the driving through the treacherous roads, and maybe there was icy conditions not too long ago last year. I went to a conference, a gathering of pastors, and My flight got canceled because there was this awful snow in North Carolina. In fact, there was maybe half an inch, so apparently North Carolinians don't know how to deal with snow. But I had to drive through the middle of the night to get there. And eventually you arrive, and then you see all of these people gathering together, and you're worshiping the Lord together, and there's this sight, there's this arrival, there's this joy to finally get there and be done your journey. This psalm, Psalm 122, is giving you that scene, that picture. We have arrived. So if you remember in Psalm 120, they have been far off. They are way far away from Jerusalem, whether in their heart or literally, they are living in far off places. In Psalm 121, we saw last week that as they journey on, they don't want their foot to slip. They don't want to stumble on their way. And as they look up to the hills, the hills could be treacherous and dangerous. There could be robbers and thieves. Where's my help going to come from on this dangerous journey? And eventually in psalm 122 as the lord is their help and psalm 121 helps them get there and persevere they've arrived so that's our psalm that's the scene i'm going to read it and then i want to walk through it briefly and have three points for us this morning so first let's read this psalm psalm 122 a song of ascents of david i was glad when they said to me let us go to the house of the lord our feet have been standing within your gates O Jerusalem, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers' and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So let's quickly point out the structure of this psalm as I see it. In fact, I did a lot of different reading and researching, and I might be a bit of a loner here in terms of this structure, but I have seen uh, several different commentators point out what is called the parallelism of this psalm. Parallelism is just showing that there's one sentence or line. And then the next one is paralleling it, and there's repetition. And I want to just show you that in verse 1, there is a statement. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I think that is the overarching statement of the whole psalm. As I kind of just recapped, being far off from Jerusalem, the journey toward Jerusalem, my help comes from the Lord, and then eventually, aha, let's go to Jerusalem. I was glad, I rejoiced. And then you see quickly in verse 2 that they're standing in the gates of Jerusalem. They've arrived. So he's looking back and saying with delight how happy he was that there is a gathering of people, and he's reminded of, yeah, let's go to Jerusalem. So in then verses 2 and 3, you're going to see the first set of several parallels. So notice, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem, And then again, Jerusalem, thinking about the city, is built as a city bound firmly together. So there's your parallels, two statements on Jerusalem. Then look at verses 4 and 5. You'll notice that there is parallels with the word tribe, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. There's the repeated word tribe. And then in verse 5, thrones are repeated. The thrones of judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. So we've got parallels of Jerusalem, of tribes, of thrones. And then in verse 6, notice the parallel of peace. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May, be these, may they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. So both 6 and 7 have peace and security, peace and security, paralleled next to each other. And then verses 8 and 9 show, for my brothers and companions' sake, and then for the sake of the house of the Lord are repeated. So this idea of for the sake of the brothers and then for the sake of the house of God. So I want you to see the structure here is I think verse 1 is really one of the most important overarching headings of the psalm. And then the parallels that follow are kind of fleshing that out a little bit more. So that's how the psalm is structured. I have three points for us. They're all about Jerusalem. we are gonna start first with the joy of Jerusalem. Second, we're going to look at the shalom of Jerusalem, or you could say the peace of Jerusalem if you want it in English. Shalom is the word peace in Hebrew, and Jerusalem is pronounced Jerusalem. So there's a little bit of a play on words when he says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. He's saying praying for the shalom of Jerusalem. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the judgment of Jerusalem. So the joy, the peace, and the judgment. First, the joy. I want you to notice that right in our first of the psalms of ascent we see the subscript so notice the very first thing you see psalm 122 a song of ascent and then what do you see next of david now if you're familiar with the psalms you know that 70 or more psalms so out of the 150 a good half aroundabouts have this little subscript of david there's a lot of speculation or questions about how we should interpret or understand this of david The basic way to understand it would be what? Well, David wrote this psalm. But what's interesting is is that David never saw the gates of Jerusalem. I'm standing in the gates of Jerusalem. So is he writing this prophetically, looking forward to the day when Jerusalem, the city that he did establish, would one day be built? And therefore, he would be able to stand and be rejoicing with those gathered together in the gates of Jerusalem. Is that what's going on? Or... Could it be that because this Hebrew word of, it's a preposition, could easily mean belonging to or according to, it's just a tying this psalm to the life, the ministry, and the kingdom of David? And that makes, I think, just as much sense as potentially the idea that David wrote it prophetically. I don't think that's the end of the day what we need to argue or fight. We're not ultimately going to know about what the answer of that is. David could have written this song prophetically, looking ahead, not even knowing and being inspired by the Spirit that one day there would be a, a great city where the, God's people would gather and the thrones would come together of all the, the different tribes and peace be on this great city. Or somebody is just ascribing this to David and saying a psalm that is of David, like David, like David's ministry or given to David, attributed to him, like it's dedicated. Either way, the, whole, the point that I think we need to see is that there is gladness and that there is joy that is being ascribed to Jerusalem. Like I said, I think verse 1 is, in fact, probably the, the heading or the most important verse for the theme of this psalm. So, when you think about Jerusalem in the Old Testament context, you need to understand that Jerusalem was a great city in the minds of those who would have been Jewish followers of Yahweh. It would have been a city where the presence of God dwelt. This is in part where we see David's desire, his great longing was that Jerusalem, the city that he fought with his own sword and his own sweat and blood and tears, he fought against the Jebusites and took over Jerusalem. David was the first one to establish God's covenant people there in Jerusalem. It just never got to see the full desire of his longings fulfilled. He wanted to see a temple permanently established there, but he never did. His son Solomon is the one who built the temple, so on and so forth. But the idea is that Jerusalem is the capital city. It is a place where justice and judgment, where the king reigns, and it's also the place where God's presence dwells. So if you're not familiar with this idea, this idea is actually a big story that we see all through Scripture, and I'm hoping at this moment you'll see that as God's people are established in the Old Testament, As a city is being established under the kingdom of David, and as David's longing for this city to be a wonderful place where peace and security, and this psalm is being lived out where they are secure within the walls, and people are gathering together from all over the place, all the different tribes for the worship and praise of Yahweh, that you would understand that this is a foreshadow of the greater, bigger story of really the whole Bible. So this Jerusalem thread, if you want to think about it this way, starts there in First Samuel as David overtakes the Jebusites and establishes a city for God's people. But this idea of a city for God's people will continue all the way to Revelation 21 as we had the scripture reading just read to us. So I want you to start getting that in your minds. We're going to start with the joy of Jerusalem. We're going to get the peace of Jerusalem, but we'll eventually get to the judgment of Jerusalem, which leads to the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. So, In sum, Jerusalem was a special place where God's people longed to be. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. If we live now in what is called the temporary or the church Jerusalem, so in fact, if you remember in Hebrews chapter 12, as we studied the book of Hebrews, it says you now are worshiping at Mount Zion, which is another way of describing Jerusalem. You, church There's a sense to which you are embodying this Jerusalem story that starts with David, continued with the building of the temple in Solomon. This psalm is talking about the joy of being in Jerusalem and that one day there would be a church and this church, like embassy church, is a gathering of God's people from all tribes, tongues, and languages. And here on earth, there's a sense to which we are the Jerusalem gathering that's being described here. So as we read our New Testament, we can read with, I think, helpful lenses that this application should be made to us. Friends, do you have joy? Do you rejoice in somebody saying, hey, let's go to the gathering of God's people? That is, in fact, the most important verse or theme of this psalm. I think we should pause for a moment to ask ourselves, is this true of us? Can we sing and read this psalm and say, yeah, I have great joy to gather with God's people. Here in the day of the church, we gather on Sundays, not on Saturdays. We gather in not temples and don't offer animal sacrifices. We praise Jesus Christ, who's the once and for all sacrifice. As we gather to center ourselves around God's Word and hear Him, is there any sense to which there's gladness, joy, longing, excitement? Are any of these adjectives at all true of us, true of you? What if I said, hey, let's go to the movies. Let's go to a sporting event and catch a Cubs game and watch them win the World Series. Wouldn't that be exciting? Let's go out to a nice place to eat or amusement park or let's go out, take a vacation, travel somewhere. What's more exciting to you? Any of those things, the things that the world has to offer? Amusements, recreation, entertainment, good food, good friends, or is gathering in the presence of God Almighty, being around his people, singing his praises and hearing his word? Is this, my friend, one of the highlights of your life? Not just your week, but your life. Or is that just too intense? Like, okay, Phil, I get it. We're supposed to be, you know, enjoying gathering around God's people. But you're starting to take this up a a few, two notches where I'm not sure I'm tracking with you. Like, yeah, I like church. It's relatively enjoyable, sometimes a little boring, sometimes a little sleepy. (laughs) But I mean, comparing that with an action packed movie, come on. I'm not a fanatic, I'm not crazy. I don't know. I was thinking about this a lot this week. Is that weird? Or is it weird to not be fanatic and crazy about God? To not have great gladness and joy about being in God's presence with His people and singing His praises? Because, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I considered the Psalms that we are reading, the Scriptures from both Old and New Testament, The people all through church history, it seems as if that's actually normal. What's weird is for you to come to church and be like, oh, how great is our God? Like, oh, yeah, he's that great. Oh, okay. Well, I don't want to sing too, you know, expressive. I don't want to get too excited. People might hear me and they might get a little nervous about how excited I'm getting about how great is our God. Or should I just be a little more monotone and kind of simmer down a little bit because, hey, we're at church. I don't want to catch anybody smiling or having a good time. And church is supposed to be serious and formal and not exciting at all. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Is there any sense to which you can Sing the psalms like David, O oh God, you're my God, and I search you, I seek you, I earnestly desire you. Like being in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I thirst for you. Your love is better than life. My lips praise and glorify you as long as I live. My soul is satisfied with the richest of foods. On my bed I remember you and I think of you through the watches of the night. My soul clings to you. My soul yearns for you, even faints for you. My heart and flesh cry out, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's just a few psalms, friends. So it seems like the psalmists are trying to poetically and provocatively get you to think that being in God's presence is the best thing in the world. Is there any sense to which you have experienced and tasted the presence of God like that? How about the Apostle Paul in the New Testament? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Everything loss. I consider them rubbish. The literal word there is dung. Manure. I consider everything lost, like manure, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. How would you fill in the blank? For me to live is your family, your work, your career, your profession, your money, your success keeping up your appearance or your reputation, that's my world, that's living to me. Well, then to die would not be gain. Only when Christ is your life does dying become gain. Friends, I don't think as we read from Old to New Testament, from Psalms to Paul, to anybody that you could put in front, that passionate, Zealous, earnest pursuit of God is a mark of normal Christianity. Not, oh, that's for the serious Christians. That's for those people who are really fanatics. I'm just here to go to church every once in a while, make sure I don't go to hell. (laughs) Get some fire insurance, don't go to hell, live a comfortable life, pursue my career and family, and then die without no hell. That's my dream of this American life. Or is there any sense to which you can say, I was glad. I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go to the house of God, because being with God's people is the best place to be on the earth. For it is a taste of heaven, and there's nothing sweeter than that. Augustine in church history, he says God was sweeter than all pleasure. One of the most interesting statements I've ever read was from a 16th century monk So he separated himself from the world, and he lived as a monk, and his primary job as a monk was to be the cook. So he cooked every day for all the other monks, and as he was in the kitchen, he had this to share. I have had at times such delicious thoughts of the Lord that I am ashamed to even speak of them. And just imagine somebody working with food all the time and saying, I've had so delicious of thoughts of the Lord. I don't know why he says I'm ashamed to speak of them. That's why I find it quite strange. But the point is this. Whether it's Augustine, whether it's the brother Lawrence, the 16th century monk, whether it's Paul, whether it's the Psalms, or whether it's the song you sang today, Be Thou My Vision. You are my best thought, by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, my presence, my light. Is is that a sense to which you can sing that with any authenticity this morning, with any true worship to say, no, I'm not just saying words. That is in fact true. He is my vision, and nothing else in this world can compare to being in the presence of God. That's your journey in life. That is your pilgrimage. Like these Jewish pilgrims traveling their way up to Jerusalem and finally arriving and seeing all of the people, they have great joy and gladness. Friends, I ask you today, is that true of you? Particularly young people. I think one of my favorite things about even college students is that most college kids that grew up going to church were kind of told this verse. I was glad when they said, "'Let's go to the house of the Lord. Get up, kids.'" time to go to church. And a lot of times as kids, we're like, oh, do we've got to go to church? And I'll just be honest. I was a pastor's kid. There was a lot of times where I heard, let us go to the house of the Lord. And there was not much. I was glad when my dad woke me up and I couldn't sleep in or watch football. But God changes people's hearts and lives. Has he changed yours? Where you're glad when you are called and summoned to let us collectively worship the Lord. This is not a call for just an individual, but for us to go to the house of the Lord together. So children especially, is this what we're teaching our children? That going to church is a drag? Is your body language showing that you're excited? is the way you talk to them about church showing that this is the highlight of your week and your life to be in God's presence with His people. Friends, I encourage and exhort you to think much on this thought and ask yourself, has God changed your heart in this way? Or is this just for fanatic, crazy Christians? I beg to differ. I think the testimony of Scripture and what we see here Is that this is normal. I hope and pray that it would be normal for all of us in this room. Point two is the shalom of Jerusalem. This would probably be the second most important point. If the first point is the great gladness of seeing all of the people coming together for worship, I think the second point is that the peace or the well-being, shalom is not just meaning peace like there's no war or fighting, it means wholeness and health and just overall well-being. So it's a prayer of blessing and hope that the people in Jerusalem would be protected and well kept and cared for and have peace and joy, etc. But I want you to notice that it's not just the verses 6, 7, 8, 9, pray for the shalom of Jerusalem and the peace within your walls and security, but it's actually, again, this flow from Psalm 120, 121, and 122. Look back at chapter 120, Psalm. Verse 1: In my distress I called to the Lord. Verse 5: Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. Psalm 120, the first of our Psalms of Ascent, begins with distress and hostility. The journey up to Jerusalem leads to peace and security and peace among brothers and companions, and joy in being in the Lord's presence. See the contrast from 120 to 122. Furthermore, look at verse 5 where it says, Woe to me, I'm far off, I, I'm in Meshach, I'm in Kedar. and those are far off distances from Jerusalem, but now you see that he is in the house of the Lord, he's, he's home, the contrast from being far off from God's presence to being near, away and at home. And then in Psalm 121, we looked at last week, the, the foot slipping, the sun scorching, the moon striking at night, evil surrounding and the Lord protecting. The dangers on the road up to Jerusalem, God is the helper, and you find in Psalm 122, verse 7, 8, and 9, that within the gates of Jerusalem, there will be security, there will be safety. I want you to see that there is a flow From Psalm 120 to 121 to 122, that the contrast from distress and hostility and isolation and dangers are now being felt home, safe, secure, joy. In other words, the place where God's presence dwells and the place where God's people gather should be marked by those things. They should be longed for. They should be prayed for. Security, safety, rest, gladness, peace, sweet fellowship, worship, and giving praise to the name of God. Healing and protection from the dangers of the world around it. Do you see this, friends? Thrones of judgment in verse 5. The thrones of the house of David. There's righteousness. There's, there's judgment that's being given. And these things are all signs of Health of shalom. So, friends, if we apply this to us today, if we think about our gathering as the gathering of God's people here and now, the present-day Jerusalem, not the physical location, but the embodiment of the place where God's presence dwells, where His people gather for worship. That's what's being talked about here, and that is, in fact, what the church is. If that's who we are, to what sense is Embassy Church and the church in general a place of security? Of rest, of gladness, of peace, of fellowship. I don't think anything has broken my heart more than hearing the stories of the people that have come from other churches saying, I have been wounded by church people. The church I have come from was not a safe place. The pastor that was shepherding me wasn't leading me to green pastures. Friends, we should weep and mourn for the fact that churches all around us are not embodying the true presence of God, where His people dwell together with peace, shalom. So my encouragement to all of us is, let us pray. Let us pray with the psalmist. Pray for the peace of the present-day Jerusalem that there would be security around the walls of this church and that God would protect us from being another casualty in the fight against all the evil that's around us. Pray for your elders and your leaders that we would not be those that lead you astray and would be another story of people feeling abused and hurt by spiritual leaders. And pray for those who are still hurting and need to find a place of peace. Wouldn't it be great to see Embassy Church continue to grow as we see conversions of those who are lost and not at peace with God and those who are Christians that are looking and longing for a place of peace find it here at this church? Why else do we exist just for the sake of ourselves, for those that are outside of these walls hurting and longing for this peace This is the mission. This is the vision of our church that as we make disciples, as we gather together, as there's great joy and gladness that we would want to see that spill over to a lot of other people that aren't here. Friends, this Easter, as people get more inclined to typically typically go to church, would Embassy Church be a place where they would find gladness and joy and peace and fellowship amongst brothers and sisters who love one another And there's not hurting and bickering and slander and all the things that we should find typical of the world. So what is the source? What is the answer to this prayer of peace? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May the walls be secure and peace within your walls and security within the towers. For the sake of the brothers and companions, peace be within them and the good of the city. Where do we find this? Strangely enough, we find it in the judgment that came upon Jerusalem. What do I mean by that? That's our third and final point. We've considered the joy of Jerusalem and the gladness of being in God's presence with His people. We've considered the peace and the longing for this to be a place of security and safety. But lastly, the strange paradox of this story that I said starts with David establishing a city of Jerusalem, continues here today in the the gathering of God's people in the church, and eventually finds its way in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and earth that Erica read for us in our New Testament reading. What's the link that connects all of them? strange story is judgment. That judgment would in fact fall on Jerusalem and on its chosen son. Do you guys know what today is? Well, it's Sunday. Do you know the date? It's Palm Sunday. Do you guys know what Palm Sunday is about? When Jesus, Jesus took his trip up to Jerusalem. Much of Jesus' ministry, by the way, was not in Jerusalem. That would have been far too dangerous. He would have died way sooner than what he did. The claims that he was making, the teaching he was doing, he was getting thrown out of synagogues already all over other parts of Galilee, several miles north of Jerusalem. But through the Gospels, you see that the way the Gospel story presents Jesus Christ is that He, too, is making a journey to Jerusalem. And do you remember what happened on that Palm Sunday? Or that first of what have been many Palm Sundays? The Hosannas. Some of us are familiar with the story, right? There's a story of Jesus coming in, and He tells His disciples to go find the donkey that has been set ahead of time for Him to ride. Never been ridden before. And they go and they get the donkey in a strange set of circumstances. He just says, go find this guy. And when you find him carrying this water jug, that's the guy. Okay, Jesus, thanks for the clear instructions. They find the guy, they find the donkey, and they bring it to Jesus. And he rides into Jerusalem on this donkey. And they start singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. Glory in the highest. But what happens right after that? Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. One scholar has argued that there is a direct, clear, exegetical link by the way the Hebrew and the Greek are written, that we should see a very clear connection between Palm Sunday and Psalm 122. In Luke chapter 19, right after Jesus rides in the colt, they start Shouting with praises, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Look at what happens in verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Friends, do you know what's going on here? Jesus Christ is riding in on a donkey, not as the victor-conquering king that's going to come in and conquer by a sword, but be conquered and face judgment and bring peace to the whole earth and establish a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem by his judgment. They had no idea. Their eyes were hidden from this. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Earlier in Luke's gospel, he prays, he cries out, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How I have longed to gather the children as a hen gathers under her wings. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. He drew near to the city. He wept over it. He cried out. There's a deep longing in the heart of Jesus because he sees those people in Jerusalem and knows what's about to happen. Namely, they will reject Jesus Christ. They will crucify him on a cross. And by rejecting him, they too will receive the judgment. Shortly after Christ's death, he rose again from the dead three days later. He appeared for 40 days. He was showing his conquering death and giving new life and establishing this new heaven and this new home and this new Jerusalem. But do you know that it would only take a few decades after that when the judgment that Jesus spoke of here, the reason why he wept over the city is because he knew that the temple and all the people in it would be destroyed. They reject Jesus. They didn't follow his advice. They didn't follow him as Lord. He continued to plead and teach And exhorts, the kingdom of God is at hand. I am the Messiah. But yet they they didn't see it. The Messiah that would come and, and be a light to all the Gentiles. No, they would fight the Gentiles. And they would lose to the Gentiles. And their city would be crushed. And friends, to this day. The temple that was once standing in Jerusalem has never ever been rebuilt. The judgment that Jesus was crying over and weeping over. Still had its lasting effects on those that are looking to the city in Jerusalem as a physical earthly temple. And what they were missing the whole time is that the temple was the body of Christ hanging on a cross outside of Jerusalem. That it's Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection that was going to establish the new Jerusalem that the church then would be the embodiment of God's people as they gathered together, and they weren't just tribes from every different tribe of Jerusalem, as we see here in our psalm, but rather tribes and tongues from every nation around the whole world. It was greater, it was better, it was bigger than they could ever imagine, and they were blind and hidden from it. Do you see the good news of the gospel, friends? This is what makes us Christians this morning. This is why when we read Psalm 122, we don't just stop at Psalm 122. We see that there is a link From the celebration of Jerusalem and that gathering of people to Jesus coming in the very city, receiving the judgment. Oh, how he longed to gather them and be the hen that with its wings gathers and protects them from the judgment. But instead, the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, this is the good news for us. As we celebrate Good Friday this coming week, as we celebrate the resurrection and Easter, the good news is this, that God looks at the judgment that Jerusalem And you and I and all Gentile nations deserve. And he takes the judgment on himself. So he is that hen that tries to say, find refuge under my wings. As the fire comes roaring through the hen house, the mother hen brings and uses its fire protectant wings as a place of refuge for the chicks to make sure that they will never be burned. That picture, that image, that oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem image that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 13, that's the image of the gospel for us. Jesus receives the fire of God's wrath and the fire retardant, the fire protectant feathers. If you come under the wings of Jesus, you will be protected yourself from this judgment. Therefore, salvation comes through judgment the judgment to Jerusalem, and the judgment to Jesus. If you understand that God is just and holy, and He will judge, then you know that you need to flee for protection, and that protection is only found in Jesus Christ. So friends, this is the connection. Revelation 21 says that there is a new Jerusalem for you and I to have longing and hoping that one day we would arrive, that we are all on a pilgrim journey. We're longing for a day when all of God's people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation from all different stages of history all gather together under one throne, one king, one lord and we sing hallelujah worthy is the lamb that was slain. That's the picture we see in the book of Revelation and the last and final chapters of Revelation talk about this new Jerusalem and it talks about thrones and it talks about these people that are gathering. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me, coming, saying, Come, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. It was coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates, twelve angels. And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And he goes on to describe these gates and the measurement of the city, etc. What I want you to see is this new Jerusalem has these high walls, a secure place where there is no war. There is only peace and shalom. And you see these 12 tribes are a part of these gates. Psalm 122 finds its fulfillment in the greater and final Jerusalem in Revelation 21. So therefore, when we hear this, come, see, long for, go to the house of the Lord. These are all four tastes of the day when we will gather with all of God's people in the new Jerusalem. Friends, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we want to give you thanks for Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for him and his compassion, his humanity. What a picture of Jesus looking over the city of Jerusalem and weeping, crying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Father, we want to give you thanks that because of his compassion and love, because of the good news of Christ's death and his resurrection, there is a better Jerusalem awaiting for all of us. We want to give you thanks that every good and perfect gift that we see here at Embassy Church is just a reflection of the greater glory of the better Jerusalem. So our prayer, our prayer is for peace, our prayer is for health and shalom, for wholeness and well-being, and that this church would be a wonderful embassy of heaven a foretaste, a picture that every week as we gather and all through the week as we love one another, we would help people see what the true church and the true gathering of God's people should look like. God, give us your spirit to fulfill this mission that you've called us to in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.